Let's read. In verse 46 of Mark chapter 10, it says, And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for this story. Thank you that it's at the end of a, of a huge long section, Lord, and it teaches us something specific. It teaches us the attitude, the, the posture that we need to have as we become disciples of yours, as we continue on this journey of following you. Lord, may we learn something new today about you. May, may we learn something new today about ourselves and connecting that to the reality of who you are and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this journey that Jesus has been on, this 120-mile hike that he's been on, is sandwiched by two stories. Nine weeks ago, we launched this discipleship series with a story about a blind man as well. And today we're ending this section with a story about a blind man. So that first story a while ago, uh, it talked about Jesus healing a blind man, but it took him two attempts, if you, if you recall. Uh, you know, he touches him, and then the blind man can see, but it's, it's very blurry. It, the, the people around him look like trees walking. And then Jesus has to touch him again in order for his sight to be fully restored. And so these stories are a little different. Um, there's, there's differences between them, and yet they're connected because they, they together form the, you know, the parentheses of this entire section. And so that first story, you know, it takes multiple attempts, uh, and it shows how our own spiritual blindness takes multiple attempts. It takes time. It takes Jesus telling us, teaching us, touching us, multiple times throughout really our lives in order for our spiritual blindness to be restored to sight. And that's the same with the disciples. You know, Jesus is talking to them about what he's about to do. He's going to die. And he's told them that three times, specifically in nuanced ways. He said, just so you know, you know, I'm not going to Jerusalem to set up a kingdom right now. I am going to die. I am going to suffer. I'm going to be mistreated by the religious leaders in Jerusalem, and then I'm going to rise from the dead. And they just can't get it. That just doesn't compute to them. And yet he's telling them over and over again. 
And so we have another blind man's story today, but it's a little different. Firstly, it's different because Bartimaeus is given and is named in this story, whereas the first story, we don't know the blind man's name. And actually, in the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there is no one healed by Jesus who is named except for this man, Bartimaeus, which is interesting. The name just means son of Timaeus, as we find out there in verse 46. Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. And really what this probably indicates is that this guy was known to this audience, that Mark is delivering a gospel to an audience who knows of Bartimaeus. Oh, yeah, old Barty, the son of Timaeus? Yeah, he's, he's, he's great. Yeah, yeah, I guess he was blind at one point. But they know this guy, and so he's given a name so that they have that reference. But also, this isn't just a blind man getting healed. Ultimately, this guy is a would-be disciple who joins the throng of people following Jesus to Jerusalem. And so we've been going through chapters 8, chapters 9, chapter 10, talking about discipleship, talking about what it means to follow Jesus, uh, talking about what Jesus is about to do. And it's full of references to discipleship. But none of the disciples demonstrates the faith, insight, and discipleship of Bartimaeus. So this second blind man's story that caps off this journey really is meant to be a primer on how we become disciples of Jesus and how we continue to display a posture of following Jesus. So notice, Bartimaeus doesn't interrupt Jesus while Jesus is entering Jericho, but as he's leaving. That probably doesn't mean he wasn't there as Jesus entered Jericho. He's probably been there a while. That's where he stays uh, because he's a, he's a beggar. He's, he's in need. He is asking for help constantly every day of his life. That is how he survives. And so while Jesus enters Jericho, you know, perhaps he's, he's like, oh, what's going on here? And yet there's a great crowd with Jesus. There's a buzz about the, the city of Jericho is all a flurry with, oh, wow, this guy Jesus is here. What's been going on? Why, why is he here? What's, what's he been saying? What's he been doing? And so only as Jesus exits Jericho does Bartimaeus know who he is and know what he needs to do to get a hold of him. So what would a blind beggar have found interesting about what the buzz was about Jesus. You know, what, what would cause him to throw himself out there like he does in this story? You know, someone who is destitute, having nothing in the world. What might someone like that think of what Jesus has said and done as he is hearing from these crowds? Well, let's try to put ourselves in the shoes of someone like that. Imagine you have nothing. Imagine you are totally dependent on those around you to survive. You know, first off, there are the things being said about what Jesus has done. He's been feeding the hungry. He's raised the dead. He's been healing the sick, healing the deaf. And of course, what might have pricked Bartimaeus' heart is he's been healing the blind. Whoa! 
Did, what did you just say? This guy's been healing the blind? Could this be true? Maybe I can connect with this guy. But the crowds wouldn't have stopped there with what Jesus has been doing. They would have told him what Jesus has been saying. Things like, all things are possible for one who believes. Things like, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Truly I say to you, Jesus said, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And lastly, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Can you see how a poor, destitute, blind beggar might be excited by the words of Jesus? For so long, he's been marginalized by the society around him. And here is Jesus, this itinerant preacher, saying that there's a place in God's kingdom for someone like him. He's heard enough to know that he's found what he's looking for. That this, this man, this Jesus, is someone to really maybe look into. Someone to become a disciple of. Someone to follow. So how does he do it? You know, once you know Jesus is worth following, how do you become a disciple? Now, this story offers three steps, simple steps, to becoming a disciple of Jesus. First, Bartimaeus recognizes that he is desperate. Second, he responds to Jesus' call. And third, he runs after him. It's that simple for Bartimaeus, and it can be that simple for us. In order to become disciples of Jesus, or if you already follow Jesus, the same is true as you continue to walk with him. The first step is always to recognize you're desperate for him. The second is to respond to his call. And the third, to run after him with all you've got. Look at Bartimaeus' response to finding out that it's truly Jesus walking out of the city in verse 47. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He then receives some opposition. The crowds walking with Jesus try to silence him. <laughs> they say, ah, you're so annoying. Be quiet. We're trying to leave. We're trying to go to Jerusalem. It's hot. It's dusty. We just want to get out of here. We want to get to Jerusalem to see what Jesus is going to do there. This guy's getting in the way. He's interrupting. Imagine you're, you're in the crowd and you're, there's just this guy over here just yelling. Oh, they're frustrated. And yet, their efforts only fan the flame of his efforts. He says, oh, you want to silence me? I'm going to up the ante. I'm raising my volume by 10. And it says, he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. At this point, 
He's just, he's put it all out there. And what does Jesus do? He stops. Now that, this title, Son of David, it has its roots in the Old Testament, which is interesting because this is, this is a man who, you know, his social status is, if, there, if anything, was, was on the bottom. You know, how would he know the scripture? How would he know uh, this title, Son of David? And yet it has roots in the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, that a righteous branch of David shall rule eternally with wisdom, justice, and righteousness. So it's surprising in his mouth, and yet he's clearly versed in Scripture, and he's desperate for a change. He recognizes that Jesus potentially could change everything for him. He's ready for God's kingdom in his life. He's desperate for mercy. Are we desperate enough for Jesus that we don't care what it makes us look like? Nothing was going to get in the way of Bartimaeus crying out for the help of Jesus. So what gets in the way of us crying out? Do we think we can see fine and yet we are actually spiritually blind? And yet we are actually, in reality, helpless, destitute, desperate? What keeps us from calling out to him? For the rich young man Matt talked about two weeks ago, it was his many possessions, you know, keeping him from Jesus. For the uh, disciples last week, it was their desire for status and power and a place of prominence. For the religious leaders that Jesus will encounter in Jerusalem, it's, it's that they don't think they need Jesus. Bartimaeus recognizes that Jesus is worth going out on a limb for. He's worth looking silly for. The first step in becoming a disciple of Jesus is to recognize how desperate we are for him. So yeah, how does Jesus react? Does he say, look man, I'm on my way to die. Can you just leave me alone? Can, we, can you just let me keep doing this thing? No. He stops. He allows this poor and powerless person to stop him in his tracks. So earlier in chapter 10, there's a story about the disciples. And a bunch of kids were coming up to Jesus. And they were trying to hang out with Jesus, see Jesus. Um, and the disciples were keeping them from him. You know, saying, no, 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 this isn't for you. Um, Jesus has more important things to do than to hang out with you kids. And what does Jesus do at that point in chapter 10? Uh, it's cool. He said, <laughs> it says, Jesus was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So Jesus overruled them. He said, no, no, no. These are a picture of what it actually looks like to follow me. And he does the same thing here. Jesus will not let them keep Bartimaeus from him. He issues a call. He says, call him. 
And what's interesting is these same people who were rebuking Bartimaeus, saying, be quiet, leave us alone, are the same people that Jesus invites to call Bartimaeus to him. I love that. They, <laughs> they go from sternness to kindness. They go from be quiet to take heart. Get up. He's calling you. I guess he's calling you. Great. Um, and that's Jesus' effect on people. You know, he transforms our hearts from one of, of stern selfishness. You know, I want Jesus all to myself, please. Thank you. I don't want to be made uncomfortable. To, to one of welcome. To one of take heart. Jesus is calling you too. Just like he called me. He brings them from that place of selfishness to them offering Bartimaeus the very call to become a disciple of Jesus. And this is a chance for him to go from a life of sitting by the roadside to a life of following Jesus on the way. So how does Bartimaeus respond to the call of Jesus? Verse 50. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. He hears this call. He hears that Jesus actually wants an audience with him. And he's like, uh, what do I, I jump, throw away whatever I'm holding, be there now. That's one track mind. Boom, I'm there. You know, what would it take for you to, in the midst of doing something, to literally jump up to your feet, throw whatever you're holding to the ground, and run? As a kid, it was the ice cream truck song that you know you can hear it coming you know it's coming to kind of the area you're in and you're like I'm there I don't care where I am I am going to run to my parents back pocket take money and go buy a popsicle (laughs) so that's what it takes for kids to do that parents maybe hey uh I'll babysit your kids for free tonight I'm there yes I will be there. You come, I'm there, I will leave, you take my kids, yes. (laughs) Um, Bartimaeus, the very person he was desperate for, calls to him specifically. And he responds with readiness, with enthusiasm, with excitement. You know, not even perhaps his one possession in all the world, his cloak, is going to keep him from seeing Jesus and responding to his call. And what does Jesus say to him? Verse 51, what do you want me to do for you? This is so interesting because this is the exact question he asks James and John last, or just last week. And actually in my Bible, it's literally just one column before. It's on the same line he asks James and John when they say, hey, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. Can we just throw that out there? We want a blank check. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? And he says the same thing here to Bartimaeus. And instead of, like James and John, asking for a place of prominence, you know, to sit on your right hand when you establish your kingdom, that's what I want. Can I have it? You know, he wants something else. He wants something very personal to his own experience. He wants his sight. He says, Rabbi, 
let me recover my sight. You know, granted, that's actually a pretty big ask, considering he's blind. You know, you, you can't just ask anybody that question, but he prefaces his question with, with um, an address, rabbi. And that word means, my Lord, my master. You know, he submits the, the end result to Jesus before he asks, but he knows that Jesus has the power to do it because of what he's heard, because of what he's seen. Yeah, he knows he has the power, and perhaps, perhaps Jesus has the mercy to grant this request. He heard the previous words of Jesus that all things are possible to one who believes. And so he puts himself out there and asks. He knows Jesus can heal him. So not for the first time, Jesus demonstrates immense power in healing. Verse 52, Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Jesus said the same thing to a woman several weeks ago um, who had a chronic bleeding condition for 12 years and tried to gain healing from Jesus in secret by just, you know, thinking to herself, you know, maybe if I can just touch his clothes, you know, I'll be healed. And she does, and she is. And yet Jesus wants to, wants to address her, wants to tell her what has happened, wants to call her out and say, and he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So we've seen already in Mark many times how human faith and God's power interact. There's an there's a interesting relationship there. And even in Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, he actually doesn't do that many miracles. He doesn't heal very many people because of their unbelief, because they did not have the faith like this that says Jesus can do that. Jesus is clear that there doesn't need to be much faith. He says elsewhere that if we have the faith the size of a mustard seed, which I don't know if Dippin' Dots are in anymore, but have you ever had a Dippin' Dot, kids? It's that like ice cream that's in ball form. And there's, have you had it? Dippin' Dots? Okay. They used to be around, and they were so cool. Um, they're like freeze-dried ice cream balls, but they're like tiny, and if you have the faith the size of a dipping dot, you can move mountains, Jesus says. That's not that much faith. And so it's clear that the amount of faith is not what's important. It's who the faith is in that matters. So how does Bartimaeus utilize his newfound sight? In verse 52, it says, immediately... He recovered his sight and followed him on the way. You know, he doesn't just recover his sight and say, awesome, have a great trip. That was, thank you and bye. I'm just going to stay here in Jericho and, and have a better life. No, he says, thank you and I'm going with you. He decides to run after Jesus on the way. One of my daughter, Ella, Ella, 
Hi, Ella. Hi, hon. <laughs> One of her favorite things to do right now is to come up to me and say, can I chase you? And then she just chases me all around our apartment. There's not that many places to go, so it's just back and forth, down the hall. Um, but she just loves it. It's great. She has a blast. And she was chasing Brittany yesterday. Same game. Um, but this is the excitement of Bartimaeus. He's like, you've changed my life. I want to I just follow you. I want to just be with you, follow after you, run after you. And that's my goal. It's very simple. And that's the last step that Bartimaeus exemplifies of, dis- of becoming a disciple of Jesus. You know, first he recognized he's desperate for him. Second, he responds to the call that Jesus made for him. And third, he runs after him. What are you waiting for? Go. He's, Jesus is doing stuff. And we get to be a part of it. It's exciting. You know, Bartimaeus couldn't follow Jesus very well until he could see. And Jesus is not going to ask us to do anything that he will not equip us to do. He's going to give us the sight we need in order to follow after him. But it's kind of the type of sight that, you know, even if everything else is foggy, even if everything else is dark and unknown, you can still see Jesus. And that's all you need. There's never a dull moment when you're a disciple of Jesus. We run hard after him, responding to his call, all the while being desperate for him. Are you desperate? And yet you haven't responded to Jesus' call? Are you still sitting by the roadside waiting? This invitation is for you too. Take heart. Get up. He is calling you. Do you want to become a disciple of Jesus? I'd love to pray with you as you begin your journey with him. So think about it while I talk to the people who are already disciples. If you're already a disciple of Jesus, but find that you're no longer in that third step of running after Jesus, but you're in a place of maybe you're, you're kind of following him, but you're more like crawling. It's slow going. It's hard. Or perhaps you're standing. You're still close within you know, sight of Jesus, but you're not walking or, or running. You're, you're just kind of standing. You're, you, maybe you're in fear of what others might think. Or maybe you're in a place where you're actually inching away from him. What's, what do we do in, that, in those places? You know, all of this is not just about becoming a disciple of Jesus. This isn't just, all right, do this and then you're good. This is about continuing as a disciple of Jesus. When you find you're no longer running after him, what do you do? You go back to step one. We don't grow less desperate for Jesus as we grow in our walk with him. We grow more desperate for Jesus. And so if you're not running after him anymore, we need to get back to the place of recognizing how desperate we are for him.
Desperation for Jesus is a sign that you're maturing in this process. To quote Lauren Daigle, one of the best Christian singers at right now, your strength is found at the end of my road. Your grace reaches to the hurting. Still through the tears and the questioning why, I will stand my ground where hope can be found. And to quote the Apostle Paul, my grace, Jesus says, is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Do you sense a theme here? That really, at any point, whether you've been walking with Jesus for 30 years or 30 days or 30 minutes, step one of continuing as his disciple is to go back to knowing how much you need him, how much you're desperate for him. One thing my dad, and I've said this many times, but one thing he said that really just stuck with me was he's learned to always be in desperate need of Jesus. It doesn't matter how well you're doing. It doesn't matter how horribly you're doing. Whether you're in a crisis time, a dark time, a time of difficulty, or a time of success, a time of joy, a time of, of just enjoying life, you are desperate for Jesus. That's what binds us all together. That's what binds us together as a family, that we are all needy for him, and he meets us right where we are. So recognize once again that you're desperate for him. Then respond to his call. Remember, you didn't find him. He found you. He found you exactly where you are and where you were, and he called to you. He says, take heart. Get up. I'm calling you. And then you'll be ready once again to run after him. And that's a scary place at times until we realize who he is and what he's done and what he's doing. Sometimes I feel like I am just out on a limb for him. And yet what better foundation to stand on than the rock? All the other foundations we can build our life upon is sand. But Jesus is the rock. It's a good place to stand. So let's pray. If you're here this morning and you want to become a disciple of Jesus, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. And the truth is, this prayer applies to all who are already disciples of Jesus. So if you are already a disciple of Jesus, I want you to also repeat after this prayer with me out loud. And if you're doing this for the first time, please join. Dear Jesus, I am desperate for you. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for calling me Help me to respond to your call. I want to run after you for the rest of my life. I give you my life today and always. Amen.
Dear Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you for our family and our families that are all with us this morning. Thank you for just the time that is so special of being with each other and with our kids. Um, Lord, help us to grow as the family of God together. Help us to encourage one another. Help us to walk alongside one another in difficult times and in good times. Lord, because it's all good with you. Because you are so good to us. We give you the rest of our morning and we give you the rest of our month and, our, and this fall and the rest of this year, Lord. Lord, help us to remember that desperation for you is not a sign of, of immaturity or, or a sign of you know, un, unhealth, Lord. It's a sign of, of maturity. It's the sign that we are growing more in love with you and what you've done and who you are. Lord, please continue to help us grow and help us to be in that place of needy for you and, and understanding that you've met us. You've met us in that need. We worship you today and give you our lives in your name. Amen. All right, we're going to...